The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Hey, good evening, my friends. Let's talk money. I'm Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, my partner. Jack, how are you? Very good, Wolf. Nice to be here. Indeed it is. Uh, Derek DeLay, uh, one of our analysts uh, at Canaccord, uh, but he's not just an analyst. Uh, he's our consumer products analyst. Uh, Top Gun analyst uh, by Brendan Wood. That's a big thing. Uh, 2021 and 2022. Congrats on that uh, award, uh, Derek. Uh, Well-deserved. Uh, you made some amazing calls. Uh, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks. Always excited to be here. Uh, the market has been quite interesting, uh, to, to, to put it politely this year. Uh, if you own oil stocks, you have a smile on your face. If you have some utility stocks, you have a smile on your face. But uh, most other names uh, have been certainly under pressure. Uh, you know, I've been looking at uh, Uncle Wally, otherwise known as Walmart, uh, inventory build due to COVID. Uh, so they had a double order, and then they end up with all this inventory for fear of empty shelves. Their shelves are, in certain categories, overstocked, and they have to deal with the inventory. Target, same story. Uh, so let's talk retail. Um, retail has always been a challenging space, Derek. It, it, I, I worked in retail directly and indirectly throughout my career. Uh, a lot of my clients are, are retailers. I used to work retail when I was in university. It's always been a challenging space. Um, what, what are the... What are the most recent developments from a challenge point of view? But flip it around, there's always opportunity. So let's also speak about the opportunity in retail. Yeah, sure. So it, it, the, the two uh, the two bellwethers that you brought up, I think, are, are really great examples of, of some of the challenges and issues that the retail space is facing. Um, you know, particularly as we're coming out of out of you know the challenging period of COVID. Um, but you know, what's resulted from COVID is is kind of twofold. One is we've got consumers that have a lot of pent-up demand to spend money on things, right? Uh, everybody, not everybody, but a, a lot of folks were fortunate enough to um, really increase their savings rate throughout the, the period of COVID just by by way of you know lack of places to spend money in terms of you couldn't travel, you couldn't go to restaurants, people weren't going out as much, you didn't need to wear an, a, a nice suit for a Saturday night dinner, as an example. And that's led to a, a buildup or led to a buildup in, in the discretionary income of the average consumer. But the flip side of what really happened during COVID as well was on the back end for all these retailers was massive, massive supply chain disruptions. And that continues today. I mean, you read all the articles articles about some challenges at, at some of the ports, uh, some of the key ports in China in terms of getting product in and out of the ports, which has been a, a, a very difficult situation. What that's led to uh, over the course of COVID was a, a material spike in shipping rates. A lot of the goods and services that we buy here in Canada come uh, come to North America on shipping containers, um, you know, from across the ocean. And these shipping container prices went up in some cases in magnitude, an order of magnitude, five times. So, you know, we talked to a number of retailers that were saying on average pre-pandemic, we could fill a container for about $5,000 uh, or it would cost $5,000 for us to book and fill a container. You know, some of the folks I talked to said they paid as much as 25000 during the pandemic. And we've since seen a little bit of relief on that front, but not much. We're talking maybe 17000 to 20000 So you're still up like three, four X times. I got, yeah. 
So yep. I just did with that in, in, in a granite purchase. I purchased some granite. Well, I yep. looked at some granite. Uh, a few months later, I decided upon which piece of granite I wanted. And, and the price changed by 35%. And, and, and the excuse that they used was, well, shipping container prices uh, went up exactly what you said, five-fold. Uh, so it, it was a hit to uh, key parts of the distribution network without question. And that's, and that's a great example, right? So how do retailers manage that situation? Well, they pass on prices to the consumer, which is exactly what happened to you in this case, Wolfgang. So what we've seen is you know, many of these retailers had the view that consumers are now flush with cash. They're going to be willing to accept some of these higher prices, particularly in an environment where you know, every day we read headline inflation numbers at you know, 30-year highs, 6.8%, I think, on the most recent quarter in Canada. What's actually happened, though, is inflation is it's I think we've now reached that tipping point where, you know, you've got 7 percent food inflation. You've got gas prices here in Canada that are over two dollars a liter in most markets. You're actually starting to see a pinch on the consumer. And what Target and Walmart referenced last uh, two weeks ago when they reported and actually the U.S. dollar stores were another sort of good bellwether example of this is we're starting to see the impact on the consumer. So you've got these supply chain disruptions, which have led to higher prices. Consumers were flush with cash, but now they're spending that on basic day-to-day necessities. You're starting to see that discretionary income in the average consumer's wallet gets squeezed, and that's what's led to some of these these, these challenging sort of earnings misses and, and reductions in guidance that we've seen out of uh, many of the, the larger retailers. The dollar stores were a great example. Dollarama here in Canada actually said the same thing yesterday. They're actually starting to see consumers trade down. So in terms of we used to go buy groceries at the grocery store at Loblaws, we're now buying some at Dollarama. So that's led, and this is the same thing that happened with Walmart, it led to an increase in the mix in terms of sales of consumables, i.e. food, which are actually low margin for a typical retailer. That was a big challenge for Walmart, and that's the reason why we've seen Walmart sell off over the last month. I saw a headline yesterday as, a, as I was doing my uh, afternoon uh, radio report, uh, and the headline read, Philip Morris stock down because of rising gasoline prices. So people uh, and analysts believe they will smoke less as they have to put fuel in their vehicle. Uh, I find that to be a, a, an interesting trade-off, and I find it almost hard to believe. Uh, but nonetheless, if the consumer is that pinch that they've got to cut back on smoking, well, maybe that's actually <laughs> a necessary uh, evil and actually a good thing. But uh, without question, you know, again, when you look at energy prices, uh, Derek, again, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with one of our in-house uh, consumer product analysts, award-winning Top Gun analyst to boot, uh, Derek DeLay. We're talking about retail, and we're talking about uh, the effects of inflation on the consumer and consumer uh, discretionary space of investing. It's one of the 10 gigs, well, 11 gig sectors, as we like to say. It's a key sector, and consumer discretionary stocks have done very well uh, throughout the pandemic, but certainly under a lot of pressure uh, recently, and we're here to just, just, uh, discuss that. The, uh, the other key headline, uh, Derek and Jack, you can speak to this perhaps as well, um, that, that made a lot of media attention this week was food inflation and, and how the consumer is truly feeling the pinch at the margin. Um, do we see any reprieve in sight, gentlemen? I'll, I'll throw it to you first, Derek, then over to you, Jack. I mean, we're not, I mean, nothing that, that I see points to a slowdown in terms of that inflation, right? I mean, you continue to see commodity prices continue to rally, whether that's, you know, wheat prices, grain prices. I'm, I'm looking at my screen right now at, uh, at Lean Hog Futures, which I know is a bit of a weird thing to have on your screen, but that's my life. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and, you know, we see them all 
at uh, you know well above historical averages. So when you when you're in that type of environment, coupled with like I said, some of the, the increase in the logistics costs, the transportation costs, the shipping costs that we were we were just referencing, it's it's hard to kind of uh, have a view that we're going to see inflation go on the food side from seven percent down to two percent anytime soon. Are consumers starting to feel that pinch? Absolutely. That's that trade down effect that I reference. You know, typically what happens in these types of environments is you don't see. I'm going to give the example of bacon. You don't see folks eat less bacon when food prices are high. They trade down to private labels. So they may not buy the branded bacon. They may not buy the natural selection, um, you know, better for you types of products, and they'll trade down into more of a private label offering. That's typically how it's uh, sort of managed by consumers at the, at the retail level, particularly as it relates to, to food consumption and, and grocery consumption. I would just add to that with the, obviously with what's going on in Ukraine and uh you know, we talk about the fuel inflation, and uh, that's real, and it's it's uh, upon us right now. But uh, the catalyst for this inflation that we're experiencing right now, first was the reopening, which we we've addressed, and then obviously the geopolitical issues that we have in Ukraine, and they are uh, I don't know if they're the breadbasket of the world, but I think they produce probably about a third of the wheat, which is very significant. So as long as you have uh, all that geopolitical conflict and supply chain issues there, along with the fuel inflation that goes with it, um, it's hard to see. Um, you know, uh, reprieve at the grocery store. And I, just myself going to the uh, Costco last week on the way up to the cottage, uh, I think I spent $200 and there was maybe a quarter or less of, um, you know, uh, of the grocery uh, um, basket was full, which is exactly what Derek's talking about. So either trade down or you just get smaller portions. Well, Jack likes to buy his uh, food by the weight, and if it's down 25%, he, he certainly does know it without question. You, you know what, the, what, what number, again, is, is I think the most dramatic pinch is energy prices. And recall, uh, Jack and Derek, uh, two years ago, uh, gasoline was 45 cents a litre. Two years ago, 45 cents a liter. Uh, but no, at that point, we were buying toilet paper. Uh, we should have been hoarding some gasoline. Uh, but how's that toilet paper working out, folks? We've got a good supply of it. Uh, you just may need it. I don't know. And indeed, but going from 40 cents to 240 uh, at the pump is uh, very, very significant. And, you know, the, the, the electrification um, uh, renaissance, uh, you know, I, I don't think we're seeing it quick enough. Uh, and that, 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 again, is a whole uh, different discussion. But uh, how do you save money at the margin, you know, if you are, um, you know, being squeezed uh, so hard? Again, I, I will say as well, you know, uh, I like my steak. Uh, I have a great butcher in my neighborhood. Solness Meats, friends, uh, Kipling and um, Jutland. Uh, okay, there, there's a secret sauce to save you some money. A tomahawk steak at that store at Solness Meats is $50. Uh, the same tomahawk steak at Loblaws is $100. There's a $50 saving on the steak for you, my good friends. Look, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, get right back with Derek DeLay, Consumer Products Analyst with Canaccord, Top Gun Analyst, Brendan Wood, Recipient uh, 2021 and 2022. And I like that, Derek. You know, it's not like you got, you know, the Brendan Wood 18 years ago and you're still riding on its coattails. You're current, you're hot, uh, and it's a delight to have you with us, my good friend. Jack Hartle, uh, partner in your wealth creation success Standing by. Uh, we're going to get right back to the show right after this. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. 
You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. I think back from that trip to Italy is uh, the world has reopened. Uh, we as a people are so social and uh, not better witnessed anywhere than in Italy. Um, just a social, social being. The streets are busy, consumers spending money, um, and, and the value was off the charts. Uh, I repeat, if you, <laughs> if you uh, find the inflation just a little bit too hard to take here in Canada, uh, and you're planning a trip to Italy, you'll, uh, you'll be well, well uh, pleased. Uh, food prices, you get a beautiful sandwich for $6 here in Toronto, that same sandwich. Well, no, a, a lesser quality sandwich is twice the money. It's $12. Your, your, your latte or cappuccino in Italy, it's one and a half euro. That's $2. That's right. Your 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 frappuccino at uh, Starbucks is what seven. Uh, great value. Clothes you can get belts for ten bucks. You can get tops for ten bucks. You can get hats for ten bucks. Well, ten euro. So it's about fourteen, fifteen Canadian. Great, great value. Uh, so uh, it's not all dark out there. Um, gentlemen, Derek. Uh, again, this 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 inflation has people spooked. Any other pockets of inflation without question. But Derek, uh, you're a consumer analyst, consumer discretionary sector. Uh, I just went, well, I'm looking for a car. Uh, or I, I've been looking for a car for my, my son. Uh, my, my two boys are now in college age, university age. And, well, they need some wheels. And uh, I've been looking for a vehicle. I gave them my used vehicle uh, of 18 years. Uh, well, well, well looked after. Uh, unfortunately, it died after six months. So, I'm in the market. And you cannot buy a used vehicle. Uh, they are priced to perfection. Some, some of them actually are priced uh, above purchase price or in and around purchase price or close enough. Uh, poor value. So I had to buy a new vehicle. And you have to order it in advance. But I will say, I, I didn't see and feel any inflation. And uh, 18 years ago, the Volkswagen Golf that I purchased, that was a, a diesel, was $28,000. Fast forward 18 years, I bought a brand new 2022 Honda Civic for $31,000. That's not a lot of inflation. So uh, used cars, prices through the roof. New cars, again, I'm seeing incredible value. Uh, So there are deflationary forces out there, uh, I guess is my point. And, and, you know, the likes of Costco, the likes of Walmart, disruptions or not, uh, they do their darndest to keep prices in check. Uh, so let's speak, uh, Derek, if we can, about some of those countervailing forces that are of a deflationary uh, uh, aspect. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not a ton. So new cars is an interesting one that you brought up. I mean, I think what we've seen, uh, particularly as it relates to, to combustion cars, EVs, obviously, we've still got a ways to go, but it's, it's going to happen as well, is just the increase in technology, right? So the, the, the increase in technology, the, the, the efficiency of cars, um, the, fa- the fact that, you know, while every single car pretty much has, you know, a sunroof and air conditioning and a backup camera, camera standard now, you know, this was not the case. 
10 years ago just because of the technology the technological advances that we've seen so you're able to get you know cars that like you said are, are 20 years newer than the one you previously purchased for, for a relatively insignificant price increase on the new side used is very interesting right what we've seen again it just goes back to these supply chain disruptions semiconductors was one of the areas within the market that was the most impacted by supply chain disruptions out of China semiconductors are obviously very very prevalent in in the, in the production of new cars so we saw a material um, output gap in the production of new cars. And what this did was, for example, if you wanted to buy a new car six months ago, you might be on a waiting list for six months. Well, it sounds like in this case, Wolfgang, you didn't have that option. You needed something now. What do you do? You go and you buy a used car. And this led to an elevation in, in used car prices. And that's something that we've continued to see. One of the companies we follow here, Auto Canada, has continued to, to forecast that that, that um, uh, dynamic is going to remain you know, pretty much the same for the next, they, they believe, for the next two years. So that's an interesting sort of corner of the market where you're seeing some, some different things. Um, in terms of deflation, and, and this is a bit of a pivot, as you know, I also cover some healthcare stocks on the cannabis side. Cannabis is one of the areas where you've seen massive deflation as a lot of production and <laughs> has come online. And buying wholesale cannabis has never been cheaper. So it's like one of the really big standouts that we see in terms of looking at the broader market where you are seeing some of these deflationary forces take hold. Hey, let's just speak about cannabis for a second, therefore. Um, price per gram at the retail level. Uh, has it come down? It has, right? And so price per gram has come down. It's, it, it hasn't come down as much as the wholesale side. So the difference there, just for those that are, are, are listening, is the price per gram on the retail side is what you and me would pay if we go to the OCS and buy uh, a cannabis product. The wholesale price is what the producers, or what we call in Canada the, the LPs, what they sell to that government agency. That price has really, really come down. And where we've seen the deflation on the retail side, again, what me and you spend on, uh, is the fact that there's been, not, not unlike what we're just seeing in terms of that trade down effect that I mentioned in food, you've seen a similar trade down effect uh, happening in cannabis where the value based product is the one that tends to be the first off the shelves, and that's just skewed the mix. So the average mix in a, in a typical dispensary or retail uh, location is skewed more towards value, which also sort of you know deflates that, that pricing that you see. Um, big box retail uh, in the United States, a darling company has been Costco. Uh, I don't need to tell anyone uh, how important Costco can be to one's family uh, consumption. Uh, it just seems to be a ritual. If, if you're into Costco, you're into Costco. Their membership program, second to none, pure uh, accretive to the bottom line. Every dollar you give them for your membership goes straight to their bottom line. Virtually no cost associated with it. Uh, yet the stock is down, what, 25%, gentlemen, from uh, from where it was trading. Uh, I have to ask you, Derek, uh, you know, for a three- to five-year uh, investor or to investment time horizon, uh, would you put the pin in Costco and, 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 and start buying or building a position here at these levels, or is there further downside with the name that, that's that's of significance? No, look, I, we like the name. I mean, we don't we don't officially cover it or write on it, but just sort of broader strokes, Costco is uh, it obviously kind of fits almost every consumer demographic. You know, a lot of people go there because you can buy in bulk and, and you, you you tend to get a good deal. I'll tell you, like when I shop at Costco and I'm exactly Wolfgang, what you referenced, the the, the person that goes there uh, uh, religiously, if you will, uh, I don't even look at prices anymore when I'm in there. I just have the assumption I'm getting a great deal. You want to talk deflation, the Costco hot dog and pop is now $1.50. It used to be $2. So that's the best deal going in the market. And it's been the best deal for the last 20 years. But uh, no, certainly Costco is an extremely well-run company. Um, when we sort of look at, at broader 
polls or when we talk to investors, Costco is always at or near the top in terms of, of quality of management, quality of strategy, you know, quality of the business. You, you referenced the, the membership program, which is just a genius idea from a financial perspective. Uh, so certainly, look, I, I'm not sure you can go wrong uh, owning this one with a, with a medium to longer term uh, time horizon. Uh, in, in, in the short, in the shorter term, uh, how, how's it going to play out in your, in your, uh, humble opinion? Again, I, I understand you don't have official coverage uh, on the name, Derek, and I, I thank you a lot, uh, for actually uh, speaking about it. I, I respect that wholeheartedly. Well, I just think it, I think it just plays on, on the trends that we talked about, right? You're seeing consumers looking for value, uh, and and we're seeing sort of like that trade down, like I mentioned. And you know, at Costco, you're not necessarily trading down qual- quality; you're buying more quantity. So, on a on a price per unit perspective, it it works out to being cheaper than you know buying something at a at a, at a more inline supermarket or hypermarket. Uh, I think it plays on all the trends that would work in this environment, and certainly the trends that we've seen working with other companies that have that similar value bent. Costco would fit the bill yeah well the stock was 600 uh costco now trading 480 however uh early in the month the stock got down just above 400 dollars. so major haircut but the chart does look broken i must say although the stock looks like it wants to rally back so uh yeah because that could i've been talking about the name table you know do we go into costco here maybe with a half a position if it pulls back add to it uh if not just sort of close your eyes and and have faith that the, the that the business model uh is completely in check and again jack you and i speak about that often um uh, mm-hmm. where nothing really has changed too dramatically with a business but when sentiment towards a sector uh goes cold uh, it, it really is, is a perfect example of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. uh but yeah, you're a big costco consumer as well jack yeah i would just add that you know even at these levels uh, it's still not a cheap stock so it's still trading at you know 35 36 times forward earnings which is expensive it's a premium premium name premium valuation uh and if it's down 20 25 maybe that speaks more to the fact that it was uh, the sentiment in the market was just too uh, too optimistic. Maybe it's trading at 50 times earnings. It's just not sustainable. And we saw that with, you know, not only Costco, but you look at a lot of these uh, high-tech names trading at 30 times revenue uh, when interest rates were zero. It was just not a sustainable investment long-term. And you're really playing the greater fool's game. Like, who, who's going to take the, the stock to get a higher price, whether it was... Uh, so, so yeah, no, that's a good point. Dollarama trades at now 27 times earnings, uh, Derek. Uh, mm. Costco is trading at 36 times earnings. Now, obviously, uh, you, you can't argue Costco is a much higher quality entity than Dollarama. But uh, can we justify uh, a 36 PE on Costco, or does that have to deflate further, in your opinion? No, I mean, look, I think you can, right? In the context of, of a flight to um more stocks that that display defensive characteristics. I think Costco fits that bill. And then you couple on the high-quality management team strategy, a business that's been around for a long time, a business that has exceptionally strong and high-quality brand power. That's where you get to those multiples that are in the 30s to 40s in terms of when you look at forward earnings. Keep in mind, you know, forward earnings are not always right. It's our job as analysts to try and predict them the best we can. In this case, you know, perhaps, yeah, perhaps folks are, are underestimating uh, the earnings power of, of Costco in this type of environment. So that that in that 36 times earnings may actually, in fact, be inflated. You look at a company like Dollarama trades at 27 times earnings. You know, I think it's on the on the more 
expensive end of what you you know what a typical retailer in in Canada pay, would would trade for. But again, it's widely viewed as defensive. Works in this type of environment. Very high quality management team. Very high quality business. Really no competition uh, in Canada in a business that you know has really really high returns on a, on a whole host of different metrics that we look at. That's where you get to these elevated multiples, and that's why investors are willing to apply a 36 times multiple to a company like Costco. You know, it's remarkable, and we do have to wrap this one up here, but when I look at Costco or when I look at Walmart, not quite, but almost a billion dollars of sales takes place daily with each of those companies. Not quite, but $750 million in sales per day. Uh, and, you know, Jack often comes into the office and says, Wolf, you know, it's remarkable when I go to these stores because ultimately all of this stuff ends up in landfills which led us to purchase uh, some garbage stocks. We haven't bought uh, RSG. Uh, again, <laughs> garbage is garbage and will continue to be consumed. Um, so just another way to help diversify and work yourself away the, along the uh, food chain, shall I say. Derek DeLay, Consumer Products Analyst, Canaccord Genuity, Top Gun, Brendan Woods, recipient 2022. Uh, we're very proud of that, uh, Derek, and we're very proud to have you as a partner uh, on the Wolf on Bay Street team. Uh, you're amazing, amazing uh, a partner at Canico Genuity as well, my friend. I thank you very kindly for your time. Wish you a solid week. And uh, we're going to take a quick break, get right back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio, show about money each and every Saturday night. And any questions for Jack or I, WolfgangKlein.com is how you can reach us. Uh, we will get right back to you. Promise. Stay tuned. More show. Coming right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Come and listen to my story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food and up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is, black gold. Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. The kinfolk said, Jed, move away from there. Said, California is the place you ought to be. Welcome so back, my friend. The truck Hello. Hello. Money. Hills, that is. Indeed, $120 a barrel, uh, 250 at the pumps. The price of crude, and that's the price of gasoline. Uh, it is. What it is, my good friends. Uh, certainly, if you have oil stocks in your portfolio, um, you know, you got a winning sector. Uh, unbelievable move, uh, crude has had. Uh, underinvested, underloved, <clears throat> underowned. Uh, perfect recipe for higher prices. Uh, it's a delight to be uh, speaking with um, Mr. Paul Colburn, uh, Surge Energy, uh, Canadian based oil and gas producer. Paul, thank you very kindly for joining us today. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited about being on your program and enjoying uh, $121 oil as I'm looking at it here. Um, yeah, thank you very much for having me. Uh, so uh, tell us about uh, your company. Uh, I was just taking a look at the uh, stock chart on Surge, and uh, boy, it's been some ride. Uh, your stock right now is $12, uh, but when oil was previously uh, 150 a barrel, uh, your stock was flirting with 100 bucks. Um, so, uh, certainly a trend has changed. Uh, how has the story developed? Um, Surge has been a, was a top performer and, uh, has, has done well since I came here. 
Um, now we lived the downturn from 2014 to kind of the end of 2019 or the Omicron um, hit. Crude was starting to move up and uh, in 2020 and then the virus hit. So crisis, unbelievable confluence of events, Saudi Russia price war, uh, the Omicron or the uh, COVID crisis, uh, the Canadian chartered banks picking that moment for whatever reason to basically pull their capital from the sector after a hundred years. That's probably the biggest change in my career, bigger than even the, the virus or the price wars or whatever is the banks deciding to leave the sector. And then the stock market pricing in, whether it's climate change negativity or whatever, um, uh, you know, so basically 2020 was survival and then 2021 was repositioning and now you're starting to see it's not the Russian invasion, guys. Seven years of chronic underinvestment in the most important industrial commodity in the planet. You're seeing there's no oil. There's no oil for the first time in 120 years. There is no excess oil under the ground within OPEC or anywhere else maybe a million or two barrels uh, in uh, Iran. So you're starting to see, now crude's been much higher than this. Crude's been as high as uh, $147, as you guys know. Correct. Yep. Um, so I think the Canadian dollar, though, at that time was buck ten. So as the Canadians, we're seeing it at the pump a lot. But, um, I, you know, people have said, Goldman Sachs and others, it has to get to about $175 a barrel to be where it uh, should be in real dollars. So we've all kind of had a, you know, the benefit of uh, low oil prices for a long time, uh, and now you're seeing it probably readjust, especially in this inflationary time. So, sorry for the long-winded answer, but no, it, it, it's an absolutely brilliant sector. And you know, prior to the invasion uh, of the Ukraine by Russia, uh, Jack and I on the show were speaking about the underinvestment in energy, which means. You, no one was looking for more oil because, ooh, it's oil. We're, we're talking electric vehicles, my friends. Forget about combustibles. Let's go EV. <laughs> yeah, easier said than done as we are currently looking. I, I was out looking for a car recently, my friend, for my, 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 my boys, and there, I could not see an electric vehicle in any dealership. I couldn't, let alone a combustible vehicle. So electric vehicles are a concept, but they're not easy to find, especially here, north of, especially here in Canada. Yeah, exactly, without government subsidies, nor can you afford one. And oh, by the way, everything in that vehicle is made with oil. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we so don't, we don't it's understand. laughable, guys. It's laughable. It is. No, oil is really a, a, a wonder uh, piece of chemistry. Uh, what we extract out of barrel of oil. I mean, you know more about this stuff than I do, uh, Paul. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, we, we have the, uh, the CEO of Surge Energy. Uh, a Canadian oil and gas producer, billion-dollar company based out of uh, Calgary. Uh, they're all the time trying to bring some supply to market. And if we get supply to market, prices should fall. I have to ask you a couple of things about, about energy. Um, number one, uh, nothing has changed in Canada. We have no pipelines. We can't export enough of our crude because of lack of infrastructure, which means Canadian producers continue to get, I'm going to say, gypped. Uh, you have one customer, and that is the Americans, and you are a price taker. Uh, that has been the theme. As oil prices have waned, uh, you've gone lower, 
um, that continue to compound the impact that you have seen uh, in, in the price received per barrel of crude. So I have to ask you, are you seeing any kind of relief in terms of that uh, differential that you're receiving? Uh, and is there, is there light at the end of the tunnel that, hey, if we produce more crude in Canada, we can take it to market and get fair pricing for it? Uh, the answer to that is there is relief coming, and it's coming via the shortage of light oil all over the planet. Refiners are increasingly turning. Now, there's a recent last couple weeks spike in dips, and that should come down is what everyone's saying. But uh, differentials for WCS heavier crude were at all-time lows until about three weeks ago, like they normally average about $18 U.S. a barrel differential or discount we sell. They were down in the 10s and 11s uh, U.S. a barrel. So that's a, also a sign of a tight market. And there was a bunch of, uh, I think, either Venezuelan or Saudi crude put on recently. It shows we're getting to the bottom of the barrel around the world when sulfury heavy oil is being offered by uh, Saudi Arabia or Venezuela or Mexico. So that's a system uh, in a month, maybe two months, and this should go back to kind of historic lows. So we we can get our crude to market right now. It's that we're not set up to, you know, till Trans Mountain, come, especially with Trans Mountain there, the second line, um, we're in good shape. We're getting our oil to market. We're getting low differentials, meaning low discounts. Itself. So... It, it's not bad. It's that we're not set up to keep going because everyone pulled back to your point during climate change and the Trudeau government. Everybody just went, oh, pull back, uh, pull back. So we're kind of not set up to really enjoy the third biggest reserves on the planet or Canada. And we're not enjoying it as well as hmm. we could be in our standard of living. We've decided to hurt ourselves. I don't know why, which is kind of your point. But we, we currently are fine. I'm just saying we could be, the world is crying for our oil and we could be delivering it to them. Paul Coburn, uh, President and Chief Executive Officer with Surge Energy, a Canadian oil and gas producer. Uh, this is Boots on the Ground talk about the energy market, uh, a market that's actually very green this year. Uh, the question is, how long does the trend continue? My homework tells me it's going to continue. Uh, so I'm hanging on to those oil stocks uh, and riding the trend higher. Uh, Paul, we're going to take a quick break, get right back to you. Uh, keep educating us on the changing landscape of the energy market right here on Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Get a fast car. I got a plan to get us out of here. Been working at the convenience store. Managed to save just a little bit of money. Won't have to drive too far. Just across the border and into the city. You and I can both get jobs. Finally see what it means to be living. Welcome back, my friends. Show about money. We're talking oil. I just uh, got forced into buying a car. 
uh, oh boy, uh, this is not the time to be buying a car, my friend. But, well, if you drive them to the end, as I tend to with my vehicles, I drive them to the end and I replace them. Sometimes you get stuck, well, at the end of a crossroad <laughs> where no car or pay up for one. And I had to pay up for one because the used car market has gone uh it's just gone crazy. Absolutely not so. Uh, so you got to basically uh, wait, put an order for a new car, and accept delivery of that new vehicle. Um, but yeah, combustible cars. I, and I, I had to ask myself, um, is this the last combustible car? And am I actually late in buying a combustible car? In other words, should I be buying an electric vehicle? But there's none on the market. Um, I'm not sure what the wait time is for uh, a test of these days, uh, but maybe Paul knows. Paul Coburn, he's the uh, president, chief executive officer with Surge Energy, of course, trying to supply uh, our planet with some crude oil that we all need. Like it, dislike it, we use it. Um, and so do you want to pay more or do you want to pay less for it? That, that is the choice. But friends, you can hate oil all you want. You still consume oil directly. And boy, do you ever consume it indirectly. Uh, what I mean by that? Well, you want to produce an electric vehicle, as Paul said, there is so much oil being consumed to make that vehicle. Oil to make the copper, oil to uh, put the metal together and form the metal, and just energy upon energy consumption to make that electric vehicle. Um, Paul, uh, where do we go from here? Uh, the, the world, and Jack's been speaking of this frequently, and there's a very good data point, Jack, uh, that you, you, you've made, that uh, we, the world has to replace five million barrels of crude per uh, per annum. What I mean by that is that each and every year, on a daily basis, the planet consumes about 100 million barrels of oil. But as we consume that oil, oil wells go dry. And so approximately we're running out of 5% of crude per year, which means that those 5% barrels have to be replaced. But with, with, with that deficit, unto itself, that 5% deficit. Yes, it pushes prices higher. But, but, but what fills the void, Paul? Can, can you explain that to us, how the market works? Yes. And A, you guys, I do want to commend you. Uh, just listening to you, you're very well informed. You know what you're talking about. And a lot of people have listened blindly to the climate change people. And, and we've all been kind of sucked into thinking, oh, we can transition to, you know, decarbonized uh, fuels or something in a week or a month or five years or 10 years. It's not true, but we listened to that and created these policies and politicized it so politicians could get elected, scare everybody. So I'm saying for 120 years, you're bang on. The world needs 100 million barrels a day, um, and it grows by about a million barrels per year. When I started in the business 30 years ago, the world needed 68 million barrels. Now it needs 100. And now you have, how about this map? We're so focused on ourselves. China, India, Asia, and now Africa. 5.8 billion people out of 7.8 billion in the world need every barrel. They're going through their industrialization. They want our lifestyle, and they're going to get it. And how do you get it? light, sweet crude oil. And as Canadians, we use, uh, North Americans, we use 22 barrels of light, sweet crude oil per year per person. China is just starting to do their huge torque up, and they're at like three and a half, four barrels per person. India is sleeping giant. There's a billion, three people. They're using 1.9 barrels. They want to be China. As China has said, they need to get to 11 barrels a day to get the standard of living they want. Now Africa's going. So we're, 
We're a world record demand for crude oil, and it's price inelastic. Guys, I'll show you the chart. When crude ran to 147, you know, 10 years ago, more more than 10 years ago, uh, the demand for crude oil didn't waver. It's demand inelastic. It won't change. We all got to heat our homes tonight. We all got to fuel our air conditioning this summer. We drive in our cars. You just bought a new, uh, you know, normal gas-fired uh, car. So all I'm saying is the grid can't handle, I've seen studies, somewhere between 6 and 8%. That's all the energy grid, the uh, electrical grid can handle. We're already seeing brownouts and there's like 25 3% electric cars. So what I'm saying is, remember that the lack of investment is the key. We believed stupidly all these climate change people that we could convert quicker so what it means is every year you are bang on on your map, by the way. The world needs 100 million barrels a year. We decline by studies are seen as low as 4%, as high as 7 5 is bang on, in my opinion, million barrels a day of declines. And we need to grow it by a million barrels. And frankly, now we're in big trouble because we're surviving on inventories, not actual bar- new barrels of uh, created oil. So we're drawing down inventories at the fastest rate of all time. So I I guess all I'm saying to you is the math is we went from spending worldwide 700 to 800 billion U.S. a year as an industry to 300 billion for seven years because we all believe these lies on climate change. Now we're scrambling. We've used up all of OPEC. OPEC's excess supply capability is gone. When I start a business, OPEC had 16 million barrels under the ground, guys. They could oversupply the market any time. We didn't need more barrels. Now crude is 100 million barrels a day, growing by a million barrels per year. And we're not spending seven, 800 billion. We're spending three, maybe this year it'll move up to 400 billion. That's not near enough of wealth. Well, your business is one where you have to spend money to drill holes in the ground to find more crude. Obviously, a lot more to it than that. But if you're not spending, you're not finding. And if you're not finding, you can't supply. Again, it is, unfortunately, a perfect storm for higher prices. Uh, But the best cure for higher prices is higher prices, ironically so, uh, because that, too, will bring supply to market. That, too, will force change. Unfortunately, between now and then, we, the consumer, have to pay for it uh, through our pockets. The way you hedge that bet have some energy in your portfolio. And um, Sandy McIntyre, Jack, frequently says, you know, um, invest in what you consume uh, throughout the day. So own some utility stocks, own some telephone stocks, own some uh, bank stocks, own some energy stocks. Don't the overweight, don't, nothing crazy, but be there. Uh, and then you will have yourself a natural hedge. Paul Coburn, uh, I can't thank you enough for your wisdom uh, on your uh, space um, I wish you success in your exploration, and uh, may your share price uh, get back to its previous highs. Uh, Surge Energy, uh, symbol SGY on Toronto, company makes money, uh, revenue uh, 
looks like it's in the right trajectory and your, your balance sheet looks relatively clean to me. Uh, you're, you're a great producer. I, I wish you, wish you great success, my friend. That's it for the show. Jack Hartle, producer, portfolio manager. Uh, I thank you kindly and great job as always. Paul Kerber, once again, president and CEO of Surge Energy. Excellent, excellent insight into your space. Friends at home, any questions for Jack or I? WolfgangKlein.com. Each and every Saturday night, the show's Hi-Fi Radio. Show about money. Tell your friends you'll become rich. Have a good one. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email wolfandjack at wolfgangkline.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.